Kia ora, Aotearoa, and welcome to Generally Famous. I'm Simon Bridges, and each week I talk to a generally famous but always interesting guest about life, love, and what makes them tick. Today, TV and media presenter and personality, serious business journo, advisor and director in relation to financial strategy and coaching with Enable Me. Welcome, Nadine Higgins. Nee Chalmers Ross, it's great to have you on Generally Famous. <laughs> I just say that, you know why I say that, it's because you got famous as Chalmers Ross, so I need to get them both in there. Yeah, no, fair enough. Kia ora. Nice to be here. My enduring basic memory of you and I, and, and it's not that I, you know, I don't, I don't claim to know you really well or anything, and that's why we're talking right now, but is um, going into a big infrastructure conference at the front of the conference, <laughs> all these suits, and you rocked me in at, at that time in what was a very rare commodity in New Zealand in a Tesla, and my me- I think I'm right to say you were the stig. So I you were there in the helmet, and like a white helmet, um, and, and and like no one sort of knew. It was the start of the conference. I must have been, because they wouldn't have done it unless I was, they wouldn't have done it for me in opposition. I must have been Minister of Transport were, or something. Yep. And then you're sort of there, and then and then there was like this, you know, there was very sort of razzmatazz with music and lights, and as I say, at that time, this Tesla, which no one had kind of seen in New Zealand, and then you pulled off your helmet, and there you were. And flicked my hair, and yeah. To, to, to rapturous applause. Yeah, that was definitely one of the more interesting MC gigs that I've been involved in. But actually that same organisation, the following year, were like, well, that with Simon Bridges went so well. What can we do to top that? <laughs> yes. And what they did was they lowered a portaloo from the ceiling and I popped out of it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, that's not quite as good as, I mean, these days Tesla's are a dime a dozen, but back then I, I remember, well, I don't think I'd done anything like that as well. It must have, the government must have been going well, and, um, but that is why I remember it was good fun, and I, actually if I went through this phone, which is very old, I, I would probably find a, um, a, a selfie uh, of us and you as as the stig. <laughs> yeah, I think I've got one because I I remembered that we had encountered each other not lot that long ago when I was hosting the project and we, yes. I think we were talking about capital gains taxes and someone took a a screenshot of you looking pretty unimpressed with me. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And so I was like thinking about today. I've interviewed you many times. I've never been interviewed by you. Well, this is the, this so the is boots the on the pleasure. other foot. Yeah, it's like turning the tables. Now, you are known to most Kiwis from television, um, but you know what I suppose I knew but I'd forgotten is you were a serious business journalist, and that's that's your roots, and we'll come back to that. But Breakfast TV, um, you've done, obviously, um, TV presenting, Seven Sharp. You mentioned the project, which you, know, you still do a bit. How did you sort of enjoy that whole... Shebang. Um, well, parts of it I loved, yeah, and parts of it I loathed. Yeah, <laughs> it, I mean, I started in it really young, and I feel like I possibly didn't even really know myself all that well. Yes, by the time. I guess I was getting feedback from the public yes. <laughs> as to what I was doing well or not well. I know this feeling, don't worry. Yep. Yeah, um, but also I guess I had an idea in my head as to what the powers that be wanted me to be. Yeah. And so, I don't know, I don't know that I was the best version of myself. Yeah, that's annoying, isn't it? I, I totally get that. I mean, that's I understand that it's a familiar politics as well and that you know where well, that's right you're trying to do what you think someone else thinks you should and what annoyingly a lot of people will give you in quotes advice about what it is you should be doing you know well if you just do this 
you know, in my case, you know, lose some weight, smile more, <laughs> wear different coloured ties, did it all, don't wear a tie, do wear a tie. Yeah, it's, it's, um, did you enjoy breakfast? I loved breakfast. Because how long were you on that for? I worked, uh, well, I worked for TVNZ for eight years. The first few years of that were hosting the business show, and then that kind of got rolled into breakfast and then sort of got disestablished, and so I kind of started news reading and then hosting breakfast right at the end. So all told, I guess I was getting up at three in the morning for about eight years. Oh, it's hard work. Yeah. Yeah. How, um, who were you? Look, I'm going to say you were on with Rawdon. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, well, he's a money guy now as well. I mean, he's making millions. Might not be right at the moment with the property market, but selling posh homes in Remuera. Um, were you on with, um, I, I would want to say, um, oh, now it's this, uh, Corin or not so much? Uh, so Corin hosted, Corin was the guy who got me over to TVNZ because I used to work with him at Radio New Zealand when I was a business reporter there. Yes. And then he hosted the business show, and then he he needed a number two, so he got me over there. And then when he took over from Paul Henry on yes. hosting the breakfast show, I took over from him hosting the business show. So you know, it's always musical chairs and broadcasting. Yeah, and you, you're not you, you're probably too much of a media pro to answer this one, and you'll have some PC answer. About how you <laughs> like but I mean, did you have a favourite, or do you have a favourite that you worked with, or you know, in television? You say you know they were a real pro, and they. You know, and they taught me a lot, or I, you know, there was a chemistry, or um, th- there was many of them because mm. uh, they're all pros. So yes, that is the PC answer. Um, I've always got time for Tony Street. I think yeah. she's a thoroughly good human, and I yes. think most Kiwis would yeah. agree with that. Yeah. Um, people always ask me what it was like working with Mike Hosking because I sat next to him uh, for a time at Seven Sharp, and actually, he's an ah. ultimate professional. Yes. Real, I mean, my sense is a workaholic, and he really sort of, um, and I don't mean that in a necessarily negative or positive way, but, you know, really brings everything, and he, you know, he, he gives it everything. Yeah, I remember sitting down, and I just wanted to know about him. I wanted to understand the man, and I was asking him lots of questions, and he just looked at me Good and said, luck. <laughs> you ask a lot of questions, don't you? And that sort of put me in my place. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's you know, it's, um, but as you say, he's very good at what he does, so, you know, good on him. And... Across that sort of period when you were on the telly um, in the glory days, um, can you think of a best moment? Is there something you say, well, that was uh, was me and I interviewed J-Lo. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I thought I of mean, J-Lo. I've never been particularly enamoured with interviewing famous people. Yep. I don't know. They are interesting, yeah, but it's just not something that I necessarily was gagging to do. Yeah. Um, Except I always used to be a really big fan of Coronation Street. Amazing. And Bill Roach, who played Ken Barlow, <laughs> still plays Ken Barlow, came out to New Zealand and I was really excited to meet him. I asked Nadine Higgins, who, you know, she was most starstruck by and we get Ken Roach. That is Well, and some of them are really disappointing. I remember meeting Gabriel Markt, who played Harvey Specter on Suits. Yes. And obviously he's super handsome and the show was massive at the time and I was so excited to meet him. And he was really quite dismissive and rude, and I kind of gave up on the show after that. And I don't know why I expected him it to be put nice you to off me. The show. I'm just a little journalist from the bottom of the world, but yeah, it kind is, of ruined the magic of it. it is, I suppose that's right. There are people who are like they are on something. There are people who are not like they are and better, and there are people who are not like they are and worse. Mm. I would tend to say, you know, people at the top of anything, right? Whether it's business, whether it's 
I said I wouldn't say it, but politics, whether it's you know media, whether it's acting. I, I'm like you. I don't want to be enamoured by them or be starstruck. It's like they're just another person who goes to the toilet and eats, <laughs> you know, McDonald's once in a while. But um, sometimes they are. They do have a glow about them. Have you got a worse moment from TV when it just all went wrong, or you were sad for, because of what you were talking about, or? Oh, um, I remember being on air on Saturday breakfast when that was still a thing, when the Sandy Hook um, shooting news came through from the States, so that was heavy. Um, I think I was reading the news the day that Paul Holmes died, Mm. Um, and even Nelson Mandela, I think, from memory. So I suppose it's more those big moments, the history, because that's the appeal of being a journalist, right? You're there for the first draft, and that's when it's exciting, sometimes emotional, all of those things. And do you watch breakfast TV today? Well, I I don't because <laughs> I I'm up I'm out the door at six a.m. and yeah. I go to the gym and then I'm in the office. No, I don't either. So you know, it, not that I was on it every day, but you know, it, it, there was a time when you sort of had to, and it was. But no, I don't watch it either. Well, um, y- you and Jacinda used to be the young guns yes. when I was still a young gun on breakfast. So that's kind of one of my enduring memories yeah, no, of you. It is. It's a, it was a great and lucky break. Now, um, you also presented. We were, you know, what I mean is you were. Um, you read the news. Mm-hmm. Um, are news readers paid too much to just sit there and read an auto cue, or am I being unduly harsh on Simon and Wendy and Co? Um, I mean, in terms of the difficulty of the job, it looks easier than it is. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever sat down and tried to um, impart the, the news. news. Yes. But also, I guess they're in a precarious position if you think about career longevity. There aren't many news readers. Mm. And so if you're going to specialise in that, then there's risk involved because public opinion might change or, um, I don't know, the organisation might decide to turf you out. And you've specialised in something really niche. And so I suppose it feels like there should be some sort of risk premium associated yes. with that. That's the way being, I think like of it. Like being a stunt driver, Stig, driving <laughs> onto a conference, in an infrastructure conference full of suits. Yeah, no, it's, it's right. And, um, and of course, you were um, you cut your teeth, as they say, as a business reporter. I think I'm right to say RNZ and then That's right. TVNZ and so on. What, what are the... A lot of people would say, how boring. Yeah. This is, but what are the merits of business journalism as opposed to other kinds? What do you? I've just always found it really interesting. Yep. And I, I fell into it. It kind of happened by accident. They needed someone to fill in in the business team at Radio New Zealand. There was a guy called Patrick O'Mara who was heading up yes. the business news team there. And he was a great guy. He took people under his wing. And he did the same thing for me. And I just think... You know, yeah, you're reporting on numbers, but the numbers relate to people. You know, if you're reporting on um, spending figures or GDP, it is actually about the decisions that people are making or being forced to make. Um, And I find business people, because I'm not naturally um, a risk taker, I just think the people who go out and start businesses and take chances, create things or shake things up, are just so worthy of our respect, that they should be the people we're seeing on the front covers of glossy magazines rather than people like me and my former colleagues who read the news because they're making, they're changing the world. That's what makes the world go round, yeah. money and business. I think that's right. And But I th- maybe it's like, it's a bit like in New Zealand, um, 
sex or religion or something. I don't know. We kind of we don't want to talk about those things or we don't. I mean, I do think there's something in the whole tall poppy thing where yeah. we don't like people to get too big for their boots. We don't necessarily like it when people are like, I'm I'm going big and I want to grow wealth and build the biggest company. Mm. You know, it, it, for some reason, it, we consider ourselves very humble people mm. and it makes us uncomfortable. I think you're right. And I think, you know, if you take this humble podcast or, or a bunch of other things in the media, those really genuinely successful New Zealanders who've, let's be honest, made a lot of money they can be quite reticent about coming on because actually a phenomenon you talk about, and they often can be quite humble, you know, they don't mm. want to be sort of um, you know, the Coomera talking about how sweet it is They will, yeah. and, and, and so they, they shy away from that That, and you called your podcast Generally Famous and I think generally <laughs> in New Zealand, no one's famous Yeah. and so my reluctance was people are going to say, what, she thinks she's famous No, I don't think I'm famous Well, it's generally famous But I thought it would be nice to have a chat But always, or always, but always interesting <laughs> and you know, you, you have famous and interesting I think, so that's, what do you um, listen to read, watch Um, Anything and everything I can get my hands on, basically, because I kind of go through a process every day where I'm seeing what's happening in the world and what's likely to happen in New Zealand today and figuring out, well, what's the most interesting, uh, what's the most significant, what has, you know, what trends am I seeing, what things could I tell people that would make them on their car journey on the way home go, oh, I didn't know that, you know. Yeah. Um, are you a social media junkie? Um, I wouldn't say junkie, but I definitely use it, although my husband would tell you that I scroll too much, which yes. I'm definitely guilty of. Sort of 9.47 at night? Yeah, when you're, we've run out of energy and you're trying to wind down your brain, and yes. then obviously the algorithm is doing the opposite thing to you. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's right. And how long do you do that for? See, my problem is I do that far too long. Way too long, yeah. way too long. So I try and pick up a book instead yes. and lie, lie on my Shakti mat. Have, have you ever tried Wonderful. that? It's good. It's a good thing for relaxing. Uh, I don't think I have, but I was talking with a guy at a big um, office products firm just yesterday and he was telling me about you know how there's this phenomenon which for the first time in my life I actually get because I sometimes get a sore back um, and that's standing up at your desk right and da 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 well they do these amazing mats now that you put under your feet and it just you know it just improves everything mm. you can stand there for hours on end I just got a stand up desk and I love it yeah I, I always mocked people and colleagues <laughs> with a stand but I feel like as I say, for the first time in my life, it is something that I could, uh, I could do. What did you do, following TV and that full-time daily grind of journalism? I, when I resigned, I had no plan, which was the first time I'd not had a plan in my life. Because and how old were you I then? am a planner. I was 30, 30. Right. Um, Prime of your life. <laughs> and people said to me, oh, you should go and have a baby. And I was like, um, I've just left my career and I don't know what I'm going to do next. I feel like this is not the time for me to have an identity crisis. Um, so I didn't do that. I, I went travelling for a bit. Um, I got married. I um, And I freelanced. Well, that's significant. Yeah, really significant. And you're still married? I'm so still. Success? I mean, don't pat me on the back too much. It's, it was, it's only five years ago, <laughs> and, and, but and, still and, very happily married. My experience tends to suggest it's always only a week away, but um, <laughs> yeah, no. But I am married after 17, 18 years. Oh, well it. done. So don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not yeah. wonderful, wonderful. Paradise every day. Um, I, but I freelanced for a while, but I think freelancing is... is 
it's fine for me if I've got a, a full-time job as well. I like the side hustle, but when it's my main hustle, I just get a bit nervous. And I work too hard because I'm terrified about there not being enough work. You feel insecure? Yeah. <laughs> and you, well, you've already told us you're not a risk taker. Was I think that's, I'm not putting yeah. words into your mouth. So yeah. you sort of, yeah, I get that. You joined that, you joined that, but, but. What I was thinking you might say, because somehow, somewhere, it might have been on your Instagram or something, I saw a food truck. Oh, yeah, I did do that. Um, some friends and I, um, well, one of them had this idea for a food truck, making um, naan, naan bread, and then putting these delicious fillings in it. And we just decided, well, look, why, rather than just talking about it, why don't we do it? And... So we did. We designed this truck. We got it made in China. We imported it. We put a tandoor in it to make the naan bread. Sounds expensive. (laughs) You put a significant business investment into this thing. Oh, you know, it was remarkably affordable uh, rather than buying one and fitting it out here. Um, And we gave it a go. But a food truck's, in my mind, not a great side hustle because it's really time intensive. And so we'd all be working all day, every day during the week. And then on a Friday night, we'd be making dough and picking up produce and stocking the truck. And then I'd tow it to its location in Cox's Bay on a Saturday and a Sunday morning and kind of work till five o'clock. And I couldn't back a trailer. And so if I didn't get it in the right spot, I basically had to pull it out, go around the block and try again because I always had to go in forwards. Um, You're not selling this. Well, in the end, we decided we were... We sold it. We sold the truck. We didn't sell the brand, but we sold the truck because it just wasn't sustainable. Um, but it was fun while it lasted. We had one weekend where we'd just got a review in the Denizen magazine and like hundreds of people turned up and we were so overwhelmed. Remains one of the most stressful days at work, I think, of my life <laughs> because people were like, excuse me, I'm still waiting on my naan and I'm looking at the orders on the board going, oh my God, I don't even know if we're going to have enough produce by the time I get to your one, which is definitely not for the next half hour. Yeah, uh, stressful. It sounds like a restaurant today post-COVID, but anyway, <laughs> um, so you made the naan. We made the naan. Do you know what, though? On that day, Ali Moore... She liked our nans. She came down and was going to order one, and she saw that we were completely drowning. She went home, put on a penny, came back, and gave us a hand. She any good? She was great, and then she never got the nan that she wanted because we sold them all. I still just think she was an angel for coming to our rescue that day. Been sent by the Lord above to help you out. Now, (laughs) now, so you got the nan. What are you putting in it? What I can see in my mind is that you're filling it with something, more like a pizza, or have I got that um, wrong? Kind of more like a, a fold-over. Right. And so our tradition, the standard naan was cream cheese, chilli jam, crispy bacon, and coriander. Mm. And you could add to that an egg if you wanted, and oh. there were other things you could swap it out for, like Wonderful. mushrooms if you were vegetarian. But it was delicious. Chris and I in the studio are salivating <laughs> at the thought of this. Wonderful. Um, do you enjoy cooking? I love cooking. What's your sort of go-tos? What are you? What are you? Well, I probably spend well, during lockdown in particular. I spend a lot of time preserving. Tell me about that. Um, I well, I think, and are you too young to do that? I, I mean, maybe, but I like feeding people, and so it's like making up little gifts. And I've got some friends who just love it, and so I get to stock their pantry. And my house, the shelves are just heaving with things that I've preserved. So it'll be like pickles and chutneys and jams and yeah. That's um, delicious. So you're a feeder. 
Yeah. Is your husband overweight as a result of that? I mean, I am. Basically, I would be like an Adonis on the beach, you know, in those Atlas advertisements they used to do in comics like 40 years ago. But for the fact my wife feeds me up. It's basically all her fault. It's nothing to do with me and the choices I make and my lack of exercise. I don't think it's anything to do with my cooking. I think it's his um, taste for beer. <laughs> it's the beer, yeah. Well, that's, that is true. That's um, And no, he, I mean, he loves cooking too. We you, enjoy cooking and eating together. It's one of the things we love. It's a bonding. Yeah. yeah. It is a, it's a bonding thing. Um, how do you make a pickle or preserve pickle? Do that? I, I should know. I'm sure my... Pickle, Mum did this at some point in time now. Pickle lives. is primarily um, vinegar and sugar. Right. So they're not health food products, no. but you, you know, they're great on a cheese board and yes. I like making bread and, you know, so when people come round, which is what I love, yes. I've got, I can feed them. You, you, <laughs> I can make them happy. You, you didn't bring us any today. Well, I'm, I'm sorry about that. You didn't sort of, what are you, you know, in the market for? We've got pickled onions, uh, yeah. you know, like a... A chili jam, a wonderful with a cheese, lily, whatever you like. Oh, that's, <laughs> um, okay. So, so you and um, anything else that you sort of, you know, you would say your friends would know you for in terms of your cooking excellence. Um, oh, I'm the, that would be the main one, but yeah, I, I, I would, I would go for more of a main meal type thing as well. Love people coming over. Yes put on a slow-cooked pork shoulder or something Wonderful. and do tacos or pork buns or, yeah. You still do the project. Um, you know, you, you do business on Today FM. You've done um, over recent times the emceeing, and we've talked a little bit about that. Are you still doing any emceeing? Yeah, I am. It's changed quite a lot since COVID. I did quite a lot of um, remote emceeing through COVID, but that's hard because you can't hear people laugh or not laugh no. <laughs> at the jokes you make. Yes. Um, but I guess it was a way to stay connected with people. But it's exciting to be back in the live environment. I really like being in front of a crowd. And I don't know, you just, it, because it's slightly terrifying, you just don't know how any given group of people are going to react no. to the things that you say. I mean, I don't want to turn off a million people in New Zealand, but I find the South Islanders are a tough crowd. Are they? They're well, a tough crowd. I haven't been they done there. They don't smile a lot when I make uh, jokes. Oh, right. Maybe it's just you and <laughs> your jokes. <laughs> well, no, I just feel like they would go okay in the Upper North Island. But down there, I sort of, you know, uh, not that I'm on a circuit anymore, but, you know, oh, I kind of get the old blank stares. <laughs> what makes it got anyway? We might delete I think... that. I feel like that's, that's, that's very stereotypical. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> what, what makes a good MC? I think a good M- I think some journalists make great MCs because they are interested in the people and the topics. Mm. They're not just there to say that was this is there are the bathrooms because boring. Mm. Um, they're there to actually learn something and b- become an armchair expert in whatever industry that they're yes. MCing. Um, so that I don't I don't know. You'd have to ask someone else if I'm a good MC, but I really enjoy doing it. And I think the thing you're I like about the it Tesla. is that you're, you're handy on the Tesla. <laughs> um, well, I didn't actually because they don't make any sound. But no, and I think that they gave me permission to drive it at about five kilometres an hour. So <laughs> there was definitely. I no see problem. the headline. It wouldn't be in the business news. <laughs> MC kills four hundred people. Um, uh, well, I I tell you what you do need. If I can just give, and I'm not, this is not about you per se, but 
having been to a few business events lately mm. in my day job, you do need to control the crowd. And I've seen the odd crowd drinking far too much. And the test of a good MC is in a matronly-like way being able to just sort of tut tut oh, back in order, what? ladies and gentlemen. I'm not standing for that. And we're off to award 37. Do you know what is my fail-safe when that happens? It's just shh. Mm. And everyone feels like they've been shushed by their teacher or their mum. And they actually shut up. Like, better than a wolf whistle or a ding on a glass, yes. you just shush them. And it works. Yes. Yeah, I, I, so having been, well, I wasn't mean to Wendy. I was just asking, Wendy Petrie, I was just asking a question um, about uh, news presenting. She was very good at one I was at recently. They were getting a bit rowdy. And the $400 ticket, which is obscene, by the way, it was sort of all you can drink. And the, the crowd of mainly men in suits was really going for it. But she just got them back into line mm. quite nicely, I, I thought. Prepare for an unfiltered journey through the harsh realities of infertility. My name's Nadine Higgins. I'm a broadcaster, a journalist, and I've been trying to make a baby with my husband. That's me. I'm Dan. And we reckon infertility is lonely enough without making it a dirty little secret. In The Human Race with Dan and Nadine Higgins, we share raw and unvarnished stories of couples who have faced the brutal truth of infertility. At least you've been in it. It's, it's really tough and really lonely. Yeah, and also, this is really weird, but baby showers, you don't need to open the presents in front of everyone. Confronting the harsh reality that not every story has a happy ending. This very blunt, abrasive doctor who I had, you know, had not seen before, who delivered the news, just like... You'll probably never have a natural period again and you'll probably never have a baby. The Human Race, where we share the untold stories of couples in the race of their lives to create a life. I feel like I nearly missed out and I got to do it. And so I feel really lucky. So it's been incredibly positive. Listen today at stuff.co.nz slash thehumanrace or wherever you get your podcasts. The Human Race is proudly brought to you by Elevate. Today, you are an advisor and director, which sounds very uh, grand, and I think <laughs> you would want to say, and a coach at Enable Me, which is founded by Hannah McQueen, who I, I, I vaguely recall from university, we must be around the same age. And, and that's, look, that's about helping Kiwis do better with their money. Tell me about that. I kind of feel like I have landed on the thing I'm supposed to be doing. Amazing. Um, it, and it feels like a combination of the things that I learned that in my skill? previous life. Was it skill that navigated me here? Yeah. Um, well, when I left TVNZ, I didn't, as I said, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I went and saw a bunch of people that I had interviewed regularly who I thought were smart and had it all together. And on my list was Rod Drury. Uh, awesome guy, and then he put me in touch with Christopher Luxon, who mm -hmm. obviously is now in politics, mm. um, but at the time was the CEO of Air New Zealand, and then Frank Aldridge, who was the managing director at Craig's Investment oh, no, Partners. Yep. I used to interview Craig's Investment Partners mm. people all the time, and he reached out to me and he said, are you interested in becoming an advisor? And mm. at that time I said, I looked into it and decided that no, I wasn't, but I also went and saw Hannah McQueen, because I used to interview her all the time on The Breakfast Show, and she said to me, I think 
we should do some work together. And so I started doing some communications for her, writing blogs and that sort of thing, client communications. And it's kind of evolved from there. And I retrained, I became a financial advisor, and then I decided to buy into the Auckland Central office and I've become a shareholder in the group. And the reason I've done that is because I really believe in, in what we do. And I feel like we all New Zealanders could do with more financial advice. We keep mm. saying it's about financial literacy, but it's not. Because even people, we see people all the time who are thoroughly financially literate yes. and earn great money, yeah. but have made terrible decisions of what mm. to do with it. So let's say hypothetically, of course, very hypothetically, I'm someone who every day comes home with Trelease and Whirl and Zambezi and Balenciaga and Maggie Marilyn and many others. What are you going to do with me to get me out of those terrible habits? I think we would want to show you what your future looks like if you keep doing the things that you're doing. But also because you, I would want to look into your tendencies and your motivations around money. So it's likely you're a shopper, right? Which, by the way... Not only women are shoppers, because I know you've dropped a lot of women's uh, shopping brands. Um, I would want to give you something to be excited about, something to work towards that is a reason to do things differently. And then most of us work better with accountability, and that's where the coaching piece comes into it, that we just do, we raise our game when someone else is watching. It's like working with a PT at the gym that you'll do that extra rep or that extra set because someone else is telling you you can. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, I'm enjoying watching The Casketeers. I don't know, I'm at like episode of season four or something. And we're talking about, in Francis Tiffany, a guy who is addicted to buying suits and old Buicks, right? <laughs> so he is just, you know, and, he, and, and so in his relationship, not that I was talking about my wife in this at any level, <laughs> right? But in his relationship, there are opposite roles, right? Um, Kaiora, his uh, his partner, is reining him uh, in. And uh, as I say, but I, I think that, that's a common din- dynamic in couples, isn't it? I mean, it really in your is. relationship, is one of you a spender or are you both disciplined or...? Um, I th- I'd say we're actually both shoppers, so that's right. dangerous. Um but, I mean, your your money personality probably goes deeper than that, too, because it's then, well, how do you feel about risk? And my husband is one who's willing to put it all on black, roll the dice, whereas I'm like, I'm interested in security, and so yeah. I'm more sort of safety conscious. But I guess with the people we work for, we have to navigate those two things because a lot of them clash, and it's probably fine for the person, you know, when when everything's fine, when there's plenty of money coming in the door. But when the pressure goes on, then financial friction is a huge cause of relationship yeah. breakdown. And so we can become like marriage counsellors sometimes. No, I think that's, you know, I think people who um, uh, do marriage counselling, um, says me without really any idea about this, but I, I, I would say there are three or four common things that are the biggest source of conflicts and you're absolutely right. Money is is near the top of that tree. How do you think Kiwis think about money? We've talked tall poppy syndrome. I mean, it's you know, with what you're seeing in your role, are there sort of yeah, are there do you, do you think there are common cultural kind of views around money that are you know either helpful or unhelpful? I think that we tend to have a Shelby Wright attitude to life, right? Mm. 
but also probably goes double for our finances, that we just think it'll be okay in the end without us having to drive the outcome. And that was probably fine at, at one point in time, but the conditions are much harder now. So I think you have to be more deliberate in order to be financially successful. Yeah, And I think we also tend to think people are wealthy just because they have a good income. But good incomes come and go. You know, life happens, throws you a curveball. It's what you do with that income that's going to have the lasting impact. How do you personally think about money and your money? I think of it as um, a path to security and options that I really crave security. Everyone has their hang-ups, I guess, depending on what their background is, but I I crave security. I, I want to not be beholden to the bank. I want to not be beholden to an income eventually. It's going to take me some time to get there. But I want to make smart moves now that will see me in good stead over think, the long term. And without sort of psychoanalyzing what you've just said overly there, do, do you think is some of that... Like if I think about my attitudes to money, some of that's from my folks. And again, actually now, my parents, my mother was um, and is relatively uh, frugal, shall we say. And my father was, you know, w- was always sort of frittering it around. Not on big things, but um, so some, is some of that or is that primarily where it's from? Or is it, you know, if we, if we look at what we've been talking about with your career and where you've been, you've been very successful, but... Um, the media is, I think, today inherently a, a, an, an um, insecure kind of a, of, of a sector. Does that play a part in those views that you've got? Uh, yeah, I think growing up we didn't have a lot of money and um, I was acutely aware of that and I just saw that it limits the options that you have in life and so... And I guess, you know, people get dealt a hand sometimes that doesn't pan out the way that they thought that it would. So it's not necessarily anyone's fault, but sometimes it is your fault. <laughs> you know, you, some yeah. people get dished out great opportunities and they squander them. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, the TV thing, I think, um, I think I looked at it and I couldn't see longevity in a career there anymore. And... I wanted longevity. I didn't want to be washed up at 45, and hey, maybe it could have been 50, but you know, I want the option to continue to work for as long as it fuels my fire. Bitcoin, NFTs, vintage <laughs> cars, should I be investing everything in them? I would want to know that um, your long-term financial future is sorted before I was recommending (laughs) anything on the riskier end of the spectrum. Because that's the thing. Everyone wants to look for the quick fix or the next big thing. But there is something in getting rich slow instead of getting rich quick. Um, There's certainly more predictability and certainty in it. Like that slow-cooked pork you were talking about. It's better to do it tenderly. (laughs) Um, And by the way, we're not giving any financial advice or anything to anyone sitting there. If you buy NFTs or whatever they are, some rare piece of art online as a result of this conversation, you're a fool. Well, not necessarily. I mean, some people are into it. Oh, they're a fool if they do it as a result of this conversation. (laughs) Yes, indeed. (laughs) I don't even know what (laughs) NFT stands for. No, I do, actually. Non-fungible tokens. And what's that? <laughs> oh, isn't it like, you know, when they get a car worn or a, you know, a hotary or something and they take a picture of it and they put it online and sell it for lots of money? Yeah. Or I like, mean, it you know, kind of some Lego belief. thing, something or rather? Yeah. That yeah. they do the same with? It's not for me. <laughs> no, I just, no, these me cold. You, you are, you're married to Dan. He's a lucky man, that Dan. I'm a lucky woman. Wonderful. Why? 
Um, he is possibly one of the least selfish people I've ever met. Right. Um, he's always putting other people first. He's really funny, um, obviously handsome, um, and he's just got a great big heart. And um, he's a huge supporter of women, not just me, but you know others in the industry he works in. He'll support them to earn what they're worth and... I just really respect that about him. He's got a fantastic backbone, which means he's always interesting and challenging. He's way better at, than I am at standing up to other people and for other people. And I just I just have a huge amount of respect for him. You want him in your corner. Absolutely. And do you know what? If you cross him, you're dead to him. So I definitely don't want to do that. Mm. How long have you two been together? <laughs> uh, we've been together for 11 years. Right. And you've been very open about IVF and... Um, you know, your story there. Um, I mean, over a number of years, you and Dan have been trying for a child. We have. Um, we've been trying for the past four years. And um, I guess naively, now that I look back on it, we thought it would be like they warn you about in school, that it just takes once, <laughs> you know. Um, but th- that's that's not to be in our case. Mm. So... Um, in the past couple of years, we've been doing IVF. Um, we were lucky enough to get pregnant last year, but unfortunately during lockdown, we lost it. Sorry to hear that. And um, we're still trying. Mm. So today I'm a little bit bloated and a little bit blotchy because I'm taking the drugs at the minute for the next transfer. And, you know, we we live in hope. And uh, I, you know, genuinely it's not something, and I feel very grateful to have three beautiful children that I know a lot about but I mean is it in terms of the funding and the cost of it and so on I mean my very vague sense is you know it's cost involved and so on yeah yeah it's really pricey and I think I've sort of (laughs) taken to telling the younger women around the office who I've only just recently decided or learned that I'm not one of anymore um, I've been telling them that they need to arm themselves with information because there's so much I know now that I wish I had known sooner, you know, and so I'm telling them, like, go have a conversation with your mum and ask her whether she struggled to get pregnant. Ask her if she had endometriosis or polycystic ovaries. Like, you, because I then found out I had endometriosis and found out actually my mother had had it too and that she struggled to get pregnant. She didn't have me until she was 32, which was late at the time. Um And also people think that the government's going to shout you a round or two of IVF, and that is true if you qualify and after you get through the waiting list. Right. So in there's our case, income thresholds, is there? I don't, uh, no, no, there's not income thresholds, but um, you have to have enough points to go on the list. Right. So you get points for how long you've been trying and if you've got any particular um, problems that you're having to surmount on either side. Um, and then once you've got enough points, you go on the wait list. So in our case, it took us two years to get on the wait list, and then the wait list was a year long. So we started self-funding it, and, and it's expensive. Mm. <laughs> um, there's no two ways about that. So it's good that the public funding is there, but it's not as accessible, perhaps, as people might think. And so without putting words in your mouth, what, what I think I hear from you loud and clear is for women um, who know that in the future they may want to have children, um, thinking about um, and knowing about their own fertility yeah. earlier than, than not. And, and, and also, are you saying... Or is this a different point um, around the complexity of the the process, actually, with IVF? Well, both. Um, I mean, you probably don't necessarily need to rush out and learn about the complexities of IVF if you don't know that you're going to need it. Because it's, 
It's not a fun journey, put it that way, and it's um, bewildering to navigate. But it is just, everyone. I can't count the number of people who've said to me, oh, don't worry, Nadine, you're still so young, you can have babies in your 40s. And some women do, but that's not necessarily the case for everyone. Mm. And in my case, based on the tests I've had done, I need to complete my family by 38, which was a terrifying thing to hear, especially now that I'm 36 and a half. (laughs) How has it been for you that four years, and then I think you've said a couple of years with the IVF journey um, in your head? I mean, has it... um, have you taken it in your stride? Has oh, it been an emotional roller coaster? What's I mean, they describe it as an emo- emotional roller coaster, and I think that's that's pretty much the size of it. I feel like we've had doses of emotional whiplash along the way because there is this just journey of hope and despair, and then another roadblock that you didn't see coming um, that you have to navigate. Um, I, I wouldn't say that I've just sailed through it. But what I've tried to do, I guess, maybe this is my big lesson in that I can't control everything. Mm. I just got to let go because what will be will be. Mm. There's only so much that I can do. And I'm doing everything that I can, you know. I've cut things out of my diet. I've been doing acupuncture. I've been to see holistic therapists. You know, I'm doing the IVF thing. I've cut back on exercise. I'm being as healthy as I can be, trying to you know, chill out because people tell you, oh, it'll happen when you just relax as if mm. that has ever well, that's relaxing. anyone. Yeah, oh, <laughs> the there you go, you relax and relax. Um, but then there are some things I can't control and I have to give myself over to that. So, yeah. And, and I, do you know what? I The journey is lonely because some people, someone at work said to me, why are you so open about this? Um, and I just kind of feel that... It's lonely enough without treating mm. it as if it's a dirty little secret. It's no one's fault. It just is. Yeah. And by talking about it, I've met lots of other people who are on the journey, which just that sense of community is somehow reassuring. Mm, absolutely. Well, look, thank you so much for your ca- candidness on that. And, you know, I wish you and, and Dan just the, the very best. Um, I know... That you do, though, have a beautiful big German shepherd. Am I right? I, I mean, unless you were randomly taking no. photos of someone the dog. else's dog. Yeah. No, he is my he. He's my big baby, Rico. Rico. He's, he's eight. Oh, he and sounds he's like about a police dog. Yeah. Rico. I feel like there is a there's been police hero dogs called Rico. He'd make a terrible police dog. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. He would lick them to death. Yeah. Uh Alsatians slash German Shepherds. Which which do you go with? It doesn't really matter, I suppose. But I go with German Shepherd, but yeah. um, I don't I don't know which Are they one the king is king of the dog. Um, well, my husband would certainly think so because when we wanted to get a dog, he was entering into no discussion as to what kind of dog it was going to be. It was a German Shepherd or nothing. I mean, I my wife and I and our children have you know we've had two dogs. And, you know, there is from time to time talk of another one, a big dog. Um, and if we do, I would like a German Shepherd. I just Do they crap a lot? Um, y- yes. Big brown <laughs> poos that you must pick up on your daily strolls. Yeah, but if you're picking up a big poo or a small poo, it's still poo. So what's well, the difference? I don't know about that. I mean, I'd rather a small poo than a big poo when it comes to dogs. And you have a cat or cats? I had a cat. Unfortunately, my cat Oscar, um, we got the two of them at the same time. Um, he uh, was hit by a car earlier this year. Huh. Um, 
Yes, so we miss him a lot. We'll get another cat at some point. We had that with our Tilly, actually, and it was a very sad uh, time for our little whanau. Nadine, thank you so much for being on Generally Famous. I'm going to wrap up with the questions I ask every guest, and we call it general knowledge. What single object would you save from your house? Oh, do I have to be able to carry it? Oh, no. I mean, you're, you're reminding me of a story in the last week or so. We've had to move a bleeding bed up 11 stores because the people from a certain business wouldn't do it. Mm. I couldn't walk for about 48 hours anyway. My most prized possession at the moment, which sounds real bougie, but it isn't really, is my sauna. And oh, wonderful. I love it. And it's, um, yeah, it's just the place I go to chill out. And so if I could, if I could take that with me, I would. <laughs> Yeah, you, you couldn't put that in your handbag. No. no. Um, how how long do you stay in that in that high house, sort of roughly hot? Um, probably about sixty degrees. It's infrared, so you don't have to have it super hot for it to have an impact. And how long I stay in it depends on whether I alternate with an ice bath or not. You got one of those too. Well, that is basically just a glorified paddling pool. You have um, these at your <laughs> home. You've got yes. your... That's, when I was growing up, we used to go round to the Websters uh, because they were neighbours and they had a big pool, a spa and a sauna. We've got a spa and a sauna Because they had those, they must have been rich. You really are a good good financial advisor (laughs) if you've got a sauna and an ice bath. Well, you you book in and see me, Simon, and we'll get you a sauna. (laughs) Wonderful. Um, Are there health benefits from the sauna? There are. There are huge health benefits. It's meant to be um, about inflammation, but for me it's really about relaxation. It's just a chance to do nothing, listen to some music, take some deep breaths, I think yeah. you've got very good skin. I mean, do we attribute oh. that to the sauna? Yeah, let's go with that. I had one last night, so. <laughs> Wonderful. What's the best night out you have ever had? I feel like the best nights out I've ever had, I can't tell you about. <laughs> no, you can. You really can. Look, we had Eric Murray, and he told us about them trying to take a swan into a pub. I mean, that's he, he's lucky he didn't get cancelled for that. You mm. can tell us. Mm. I actually think my I best night out anyone. was actually a night in. And it was the night my husband proposed. I'd been out with my girlfriends. I'd had a few wines. I had no idea what was coming, but they did. And I rocked up at home with a curry thinking I was being a great girlfriend. And he had transformed the the sun deck uh, area outside the back of our house into this little magical wonderland. And I was late and he was very nervously waiting to propose. And then he invited our very best friends around and we all got quite drunk on nice champagne. <laughs> No, this Dan, he is a model partner. I mean, he's making other men out there still look bad up with this game, kind of carry-on. Did he have a ring? <laughs> um, he had a diamond, and then I got to choose how the ring was set. Because I sort of feel like that's a risky business. I mean, yep. that's been my excuse on that sort of issue <laughs> over the time. Although I did spontaneously, spontaneously once buy my wife a diamond bracelet. I just want to say that, you know. As a careful, frugal guy coming from wow. Mother Ruth, that's a I did big, once grand do that. Gesture. Hasn't happened again. <laughs> there was talk of diamond earrings um, post-politics, but... Um, Anyway, let's keep moving. Um, <laughs> what's the best advice you've um, been given and who gave it to you? Um, one that sticks in my mind is one I actually just heard a couple of weeks ago. We had Gilbert Anoka come and speak at the Enable Me conference. Mm. And one of the things he said it was, you will never rise above your own opinion of yourself. 
And I just felt like all the women in the room in particular, there was this sharp intake of breath because I think we're all really hard on ourselves. And to think that that's actually a limiting mm. um, practice is almost like a challenge that you actually have to start thinking, loving yourself, thinking more highly of yourself. I think, and, and uh, you know, obviously this is dangerous territory because I'm gender stereotyping hugely. I wonder if that is more true for women often. I can think of some male friends of mine who possibly um, <laughs> could do with different advice. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's good advice from Mr. Anoka. Well, Nadine Higgins, thank you so much for coming on Generally Famous. It's been a real pleasure and we appreciate having you on. Lovely to chat to you. You've been listening to Generally Famous. There's a new episode every Wednesday. You can listen to them all at stuff.co.nz slash generallyfamous or wherever you get your podcasts. In fact, if you follow us on Apple or Spotify, any of the podcast apps, in fact, you'll get the latest episode automatically. Go on, it's really quick and easy. I'd love to hear from you. Send your feedback to generallyfamousstuff.co.nz. And if there's a guest you'd really like me to talk to, contact the same address. Thanks to my producers, Chris Reed and Jen Black. I'm Simon Bridges. I really appreciate you listening. If you like this podcast, please support our work. Visit stuff.co.nz slash support. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You'll also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts.